0: I'm real excited because uh, if you're taking notes, and I hope you are, uh, today is part two uh, of a series that we started last week, Um, and uh, I want you guys to take notes because I believe you guys are really going to enjoy it. The title of my notes is God's Methodology Part Two, God's Methodology Part Two, and if you were here last week, uh, you heard me mention a few things, um, that God... Uh, had it written in Psalms chapter 37, verse 23, it reads, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. Uh, which, uh, on face value, that is a scripture that we could get really excited about. Uh, But when we begin to think about it a little bit more, it's actually incredibly frustrating because steps imply process. And I spoke at great length last week about how I personally hate process. I can't stand process. There's nothing about process I like And and steps imply process, that in order to get to higher ground, you have to take steps. And, uh, uh, you know, there once was a time in my life where I would try to take more than one step at a time. I'd try to jump steps. And I vividly remember following adults and feeling sorry for them that they had to take one step at a time. And, uh, and then there was that day where I busted my lip. You only have to do that once, you know. You do that one time and it's just kind of like, okay, I'm going to start taking the process. God is all about process. And you know what? He is not concerned about preparing our blessing. He's not concerned about that. Because the blessing is already established. He's concerned about preparing us. For our blessing. And so he's constantly paying attention to us. Paying attention to our heart. Paying attention to our thoughts. Preparing us for this. Because when we read about the prodigal son. We find out that fast. That a blessing given. Before it's supposed to. Is not a blessing at all. And what is supposed to cause us to praise the Lord. Will actually cause us to drive ourselves away from God. And so I want to talk a little bit about that. And so last week I talked about, I kind of defined the process. And and this week what I want to talk about is when you're in the middle of the process, I talked about defining it last week, but this week when you're in the middle of the funk, what is actually happening? What is actually going on? And uh, I want to just study... Uh, Jesus Christ, because he was in a situation where he was in an incredibly stressful situation. And it is so much like ours that we can easily pull some truths out of it. So Matthew chapter 4, verse number 1, it reads like this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. During that time, the devil, be, devil came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Everybody say bread. bread. Oh, you sound good. Everybody say bread. bread. Oh, you sound better. Uh, loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, No. The scriptures say, people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you. And they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil, this is the third temptation. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms, bless you, of the world and their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. This is a very important verse. Then the devil went away and angels, everybody say angels. Angels Angels came and took care of of Jesus. Now let's, let's have a little bit of fun and, and let's unpack this passage, okay? Let's unpack it and let's just peel it back and, and let's see if we can pull some truths out of it. I'm going to try to pull four truths out of it. Um, but this is what's taking place is Jesus has been led to the wilderness. He's been led there. He is in the middle of a process Uh, He's 30 years old and by the time he's 33, he will have firmly established himself on this earth and have duplicated himself to the best of his ability into 12 disciples and hundreds of other followers. But that is three years from now. At this moment of time, he's on figuratively speaking the first step. He is just starting his ministry. And he's got to be excited if you or I were in his place. He's been living 30 years of his life ready to start his ministry. And as soon as he starts, the minute he gets into it, the devil is in his face causing havoc. Now, I don't know about you, but many times I would feel like if the devil would just leave me alone, I could actually do something. You ever think that? And and usually uh, it's some person or some problem or a financial situation, and it's like this nagging thorn, and it's just like, oh. leave me alone. I'm trying to get somewhere. Are you with me? So here, it's very, very important for us to recognize that Jesus didn't just all of a sudden find himself in the wilderness going, oh my gosh, what just happened to me? See, Peter says it this way. Do not be confused as if something strange were happening to you when fiery darts from hell come your way. Don't think it's strange. It's like, oh, I'll tell you what I find strange is when people are saying, my life is so good and I don't have any problems at all. That's strange. Are you with me? That's Peter says, look, when you're in the middle of it all, don't think it's strange. The Bible says that Jesus was led there. So if you're taking notes today, point number one is simply this. I am where I'm supposed to be. I am where I'm supposed to be. I'm, I I don't, I'm not saying, I'm not saying I like the situation I'm in, but you need to know that you are exactly where you're supposed to be. Now I had a family reunion, um, in Miami a couple weeks ago, my whole mother side of the family, we all met in Miami first time in about 15 years. I'm going to shoot an email as at the, at the soon as I can to suggest maybe instead of once every 15 years, maybe once every 30. <laughs> I, I'm thinking that that rhythm would just do much better. And the reason why is, is it's just kind of like walking. I'm just kidding. I love my family. But it's like walking on eggshells. Any moment there could be a humongous fight. Does anyone else have family? No, don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You <laughs> might be sitting by them. It, it, it's just, and, and the reason why, to my family's defense, is my family has been through a lot. Many of, my mom has been through a lot. My aunts, my uncles have been through a lot. In fact, if, if they were sitting in this crowd right now, uh, they would, could raise their hand and they could say, no, 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 Frankie, I disagree with what you're saying. Because you're saying that we are led by God to the wilderness. And I completely disagree because I have made some horrible choices in my life. And there's no way. Had I not made those terrible choices, I would not be where I am right now. And I would say back to them you are making a really good point. Had you not made those choices, you'd be in a completely different, your surroundings would be very different. But what I'm saying is also true. See, it's hard to imagine that two people can be right. Does that make sense? (laughs) It's hard to imagine. We're both right. We're both are oh, That really means that, no, no, we're both right. Because God, where you are right now, is exactly where God wants you to be. And why is that? Please write this down as point A underneath that first point. Regardless of the decisions you've made, God has you pointing in the right direction. He has you situated and pointing in the right direction. He's got you pointing in the right direction. Now, you may say, Frankie, you just met me, and I've been doing my life like this for the last 10 years, and there's no way. That's right. You've been going, wee, wee, wee. But God has you pointing in the right direction right now. And that's huge. Because now some of you say, well, you know what? He might have me pointing in the right direction, but I've lost so much time. No, no, no. That's the wonderful thing about God. That's why we worship him. Because he made time. You guys ready? Ready? Time. You ever lined up a whole bunch of dominoes? And then go tink and it go. Groosh. God started time. In fact, in the Bible it says, in the days before time began. Who? Cuckoo, cuckoo. In the days before time began. So if you made time, you can do whatever you want with time. And so God points you in the right direction and he has the ability to put you on a fast track to move quicker where you have maybe wasted some time. And you say, well, I don't know if that's biblical. I'm so glad you thought that. I'm so glad you thought that because in Joel chapter 2, verse 25, it says this, I will repay you for the years the locusts have stolen. And and that's that's what I love because God calls, calls Satan locusts. That's what you are. You know what I love is it, is, is it doesn't say that God will repay you for the money that you've lost while you were out wasting time. It doesn't say that God will repay you for. No, it, it, he says, I'm going to give you your time back because when you're young, when you're young, you want your your hundred dollars back. When you're young, I want my $5,000 back. But when you hit a certain age, you realize you've made money, you've lost money, you've made money, you've lost money. At the end of the day, I just wish I had my time back. Am I, am I, am I talking good right now? I just want my time back. And so God says, look, I'm going to give you your time back. I'm going to give you the ability to do more in a shorter amount of time. And, it, it, you know, I was in a, uh, uh, an airport the other day. And they got these things called, you know, uh, fast track walkway things. You've seen them before. It's, it's like you stand on them and you just whoo. I love those things. I love when I'm walking and I'm knocking next to somebody else. And they're walking, and then I just step on this fast track thing, and I'm walking the same pace. They're walking the same pace, but I'm burning that guy. (laughs) It's called a fast track. And you say, "Ah, keep on talking to me. I'm almost there. I want it to be true, but just, just help me. Okay, okay. All right, I'll help you. I'll help you. There's a guy named Saul. Saul is stoning Christians. He's stoning them. He's arresting him. At the very same time, right down the road, Jesus is preaching. He's breaking bread. He's feeding 5,000 people with just two loaves and two fish and five loaves. Right down the street. Saul, this was before he was called Paul, he's over here wasting his time. He could be following Jesus. But no. He's over here wasting his time, actually going against Jesus. Jesus dies on the cross, he gets put in the grave, and he goes to heaven. Saul still wasting time. Talk about missing an opportunity my goodness, the son of God was right down the road and you're out messing around. Actually, you're his enemy. What are you, stupid? Talk about missing an opportunity. So God knocks Saul off of his donkey. Three days later, Saul opens his eyes and goes, oh my goodness, I missed the opportunity of a lifetime. I've been messing around. Whoa, knocking tables over. (laughs) When I drop anything? I've been messing around. God says this, no, 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 no. I will restore the years. Now, now Saul says, no, 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 no. You were doing ministry for three years here on earth, and I was messing around for three years. That opportunity is over. You're in heaven. I missed it. Do you know that as soon as he gave his life to Jesus, the Bible says that Saul went to the desert of Tiberias and spent three years alone, and Jesus taught him himself one-on-one and caught him up. I kind of like that. I just want to let you know that there's some relationships that you feel like they're gone. You messed it up. You and your daughter, you and your son, they'll never be again the same. Your dad, your mom. Look, let me just tell you, God has you right where you are. And amazing things happen in the wilderness. In fact, if you back up, you see Jesus spent time in the wilderness Moses spent time in the wilderness. The children of Israel spent time in the wilderness. This funky process stinks, but it's ordered by God. And just know every every step, every day, every hour, every day, every step, every hour, God is going, I'll approve that. I'll approve that. I'll approve that. You're not going to like this, but just trust me. I'll approve that. I won't approve that. And you have, and I have, no idea how many times he has saved our goose. No. and God good? Put your hands together for God. He's good. Now, it's interesting. Not only did, did Satan come to Jesus and say, hey, what, not only was there a confrontation in the wilderness, but he comes to Jesus and he says something crazy. Have you ever said something before where even though you said it years ago, when you think of it now, you feel stupid? Just me? Okay. I got a long list of things. I just, oh, it happened 20 years ago, but I still feel like an idiot. Is there anyone? Just raise your hand just so I feel. Okay, thank you so much. Um, and if you raise your hand just to make me feel better, may the Lord bless you, Okay. <laughs> May he bless you. Lion's okay sometimes. But (laughs) here's here's the thing. Satan said something so stupid. He looks at Jesus and he says, if you worship me, if you bow down to me, I'm going to give you two things. Number one, I'm going to give you some bread because I know you're hungry. And number two, I know you're here because... You are supposed to rule and be the king of this world. Well, I'll tell you what. If you worship me, I'm just going to give you a loaf of bread right now. And I'm not even going to fight you anymore. I'll give you the whole world. This next three years or seven years, however long you're going to be here, I'm just going to give it to you right now. Which is just crazy to me because Jesus makes bread. He makes bread. Satan is offering Jesus bread and Jesus twice. One time he was in front of 3,000 people. He took some bread and he took some fish. He prayed over it and fed all of them with just this little knapsack Amen. of bread. And then he did it for 5,000 people. So here Satan is saying, I'll give you some bread. <laughs> Jesus is like, I make... I make bread. He didn't even belittle himself. And then, and then watch this. He goes, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world, which is just crazy, which is just, utterly asinine is up there with bread because before jesus was born there was a guy named david he was the king over israel he was the second king he had a prophetic gift god would speak to him and he would write it down he wrote a whole bunch of poems and psalms in fact one time god spoke to him and in psalms chapter 22 he wrote down the messiah speaking of jesus will be given dominion and ruler over all the nations and be the king over this kingdom. So Satan is offering him bread and he can already make it. And he's offering him the kingdom and he's already got it. And if you're taking notes today, write this down. He can't give you something that you already have. He wants to give Jesus something that He's already got. And to just kind of apply this to our life, Satan would love to make us get into this hamster in the wheel to work and stress and try and work and stress and try to get something that you already have. We worry and we stress. We worry and we stress. We worry and we stress. He can't give you something you already have. Do you and I, let's realize this. That the Bible says about every single one of you that have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That no eye has seen, no ear has heard, and no mind can imagine the things that he has for you. Further, it says that I know the plans I have for you and they're plans to prosper you, to give you a future and a hope. Now, when I used to hear that scripture, I used to think I like future and I like prosper. Giving me hope. I know I like future and I know I like prosper, so I'll just take hope, whatever you're talking about. I'll give you hope. Do you know what hope means? Hope means to have expectation for. So, if I'm sitting here and I'm thinking about my life and I feel like this, because I don't have hope, it's going good, but I don't have a heightened expectation. But if He gives me hope, I'm waking up before the alarm's going off. Because I have this this hope, this expectation. I'm not sure what God has for me, but I can tell you this, it's going to be good. And for those of us that don't feel that way, we just need a little dose of hope. Because once again, God's not concerned about the blessing. He's more concerned about the process. Because if we're not leaning on him, we can't back up and say, hey, Satan, you can't give me something I've already got. Because this is on the God track. If you're on your own track, I just want to tell you everything that I've said so far, it doesn't apply to you. It does not apply to you. And just because you believe in Jesus does not mean that you're on the God track. Because Satan believes in Jesus. I'd like for everybody here, I'm not done preaching, but I just want to stop right now. Would you just bow your head and close your eyes? If you just say, you know what? And I don't normally do this at this point of the service, but I just feel like I'm supposed to. You say, I'm not on God's track. I'm not pursuing him. I just want you to raise your hand right where you're at right now. I'm not going to ask you to stand up. I'm not going to embarrass you. There you go. I see that hand, sir. I see that hand, ma'am. I see that hand, young man. I see that hand, sir. That's four. Come on, anyone else? That's it. Hands are popping up all over the room right now. It's important, you can put your hands down now, that you say to God, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, and I'm sorry. So point number two is, you can't give me what I've already got. And point number three, let me kind of unpack that because that's kind of fun for me. Satan says to Jesus, if you jump off this cliff, I will, I will allow angels. I want to see angels come scoop you up. Now, why in the world would Jesus want to jump off a cliff And have angels come scoop them up. And I'll I'll let you know that if I were Jesus, I would think to myself a few things. I want angels right now. I'm starving. If they show up with a subway, it'd be better. But I want some angels right now. And Satan would make us think that in order to have angels, that's what we got to do. And sometimes he tries to flip the game and he'll say, if you want this kind of success, this is what you got to do. This is what you gotta do. You gotta do this. Have you ever had a situation and you're racking your brain? You're staying up all night and you're worried, you're consumed. How am I gonna do this? How am I gonna do this? How am I gonna figure this out? I gotta do this. How am I gonna do this? How am I gonna figure this out? How am I gonna do this? How am I gonna figure this out? I've got to figure this out. How am I gonna stress and... and then anyone who talks to you is like Just bark them down. Just just It has nothing to do with them. But you're stressed. Fit to be tied. Man, I'm sweating like a... I'm working hard up here. Jeez. Are you guys enjoying it? Is that, Am I doing okay? Thank you. So, so when all this is happening, the enemy would make us think that you and I have got a lot to do to get where we're trying to go. You know what's so interesting about those angels is they were already coming. (laughs) They're his angels. They're his angels. Once again, you can't give me what I already have and you can't take away what I've already got. That's your next point. You can't take away what I've already got. You can't give me what I already have. You can't take away what I already have. You can't give me what I already have. You can't take away what I already have. You know what? You can't give me what I already have. You can't take away what I already have. You know, when you're sitting in your car and you're worried about this process, you can just kind of say, I am not. I I don't know how this is going to work out, but one thing's for sure. You can't give me what I already have and you can't take away what I already have. You can't give me, you know know what's so funny, is you can't give me what I already have. I, I don't have it yet, but God established the plans before I was born. You can't give me what I already have. You can't take away what I already have. You know what's the coolest thing? Is you can't give me what I already have. You can't take away what I already have. You know, uh, the, the church was involved in a business deal recently, and uh, our, our business team handles all that for us. And, and uh, I had a, a senior pastor. I was out to lunch with him, and I was telling him about it. And he goes, so, so are you worried about the deal? You know, it was an, accusi- an acquisition. We were going to make a purchase. And, and I looked back at him, and I said, nah, I'm, I'm no, I'm not stressed at all because you, you can't take away what I already have if it's mine it's mine if it's mine it's mine if it's celebration church it's a celebration if it's ours it's ours you can't take it away now the deal ended up folding and we ended up not buying that piece of property guess what it wasn't ours it's somebody else's. There's another Christian, another child of God, looking over. I don't know who it is, and it was me. I don't know who it was, but you ain't going to take away what I've already got. And I'm over here. I, I sure would like to take away what you got. Uh, you can't take away. I'm like, come on, business team, take it away. I want to take it. Dear God, I'm praying to take it away. It was a piece of land that I think our church would have liked to have had somebody else's land you can't take away what's theirs now again let me say this this is not for those of you that just believe in god this is for those of you that pursue him to the best of your ability those angels were already coming let me say something uh that i'd like to just kind of spend a few moments on the issue is never the problem on the surface See, sometimes we can think that it's money that's driving us crazy. It's the wife, it's the mother-in-law, it's the wife, it's the mother-in-law, it's the the boss, it's the income, it's the bonus check, it's all this stuff. It's never what's on the surface. Have you ever said hello to somebody and they're just like rude? Have you ever seen somebody in the office and they're just like, like... You know, you're in the house and, and they're just mean. And you're like, what did I do? What did I do? And I rah, 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 rah. It's like, what did I do? What did I do? And, and you know good and well that the treatment you're getting is outweighing what you did. And you're like, oh, my goodness. I can't believe you're going to, like, send me to the electric chair. All I did was I was five minutes late for dinner. Oh, my god, goodness. What's happening? And then you back up and you go, hey, "Do you want to tell me what's really going on?" And if they're in the right mood and you ask at the right time, right then and there is never the right time. But if you ask at the right time, a lot of times they're like, "You know what? I'm really sorry. It really has nothing to do with you. I was driving to work this morning, I spilled coffee on myself, I got into a fender bender. I'm sorry." There was something else under the surface. I just want to say, what's on the surface is never the issue. It's something deeper than that. And when we think it's money, it's not money. And when we think it's relationships, it's not relationships. What's really happening is that there's a faith issue. We're not sure if God's going to pull through. We're not sure if God's going to pull through. You know, if, if you had a $15,000 bill to pay tomorrow morning, let's say 100000 just for those of you that are loaded in the pockets, 100000 a $100,000 bill to pay at 5 o'clock tomorrow. But you already know I'm handing you a half a million dollar check at 8 a.m. tomorrow. You're going to sleep like a baby. But if I'm not going to be there and nobody's going to be there and you got to pay somebody $100,000 by 5 o'clock tomorrow, you're nervous sick. So what's the big issue? What's the real issue? Is it really the money? Or are you unsure if God's going to show up at 8 a.m. tomorrow morning? So it's a faith issue. It's not a money issue. It's a fear issue. And so we've got to learn to recognize voices. See, before there was caller ID, we were depending on the sound of the voice. Hey, mom. Hey. We don't even say each other. Say, hey, this is Frankie. We don't have to say, this is Frankie. If I call my wife, I don't need to go, hey, this is Frankie. If I do, we got Just need to recognize my voice. Let, let me help us recognize the voice of hell, okay? I'm going to tell you what hell sounds like, and I'm going to tell you what it doesn't sound like. It doesn't sound like that recording when you were trick-or-treating. It doesn't sound like the recording on the porch. <laughs> it doesn't sound like that. It sounds like fear. It sounds like anxiety. It sounds like stress. That's what it feels like, and sometimes it's not... You don't hear hell, you feel hell. So when you're stressed out, just know, hell's breathing over your shoulder. And when you feel peace and you don't understand, I don't know how this is going to work out, but I know it's going to be okay. That's when you're starting to feel the voice of God. This is how all these things are operating. This is all going on in the background. And I, and I want to say that it's never physical. I want to emphasize that again. It's never physical. It's always spiritual. But watch this. Jesus was walking around, and there was hundreds of people following him. Hundreds of people following him. These No, it was actually thousands of people. Thousands of people were following him because he just fed them with fishes and loaves. And so he turns around and he looks at all these people and he says this, he goes, this is in John chapter six, Jesus answered, verily, truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures for eternal life, which is the Son of Man, which the Son of Man will give you. He's saying, you're following me because you want more bread. And what I want you to want is something deeper than that. And that's why Jesus said, I'm the bread of life. When he was looking at the woman at the well, she came, she she was married to a guy, the marriage fell apart. She got married to another guy, the marriage fell apart. She got married to another guy, the marriage fell apart. She got married to another guy, the marriage fell apart. She got married to another guy, I'm not just rattling this off, I'm actually counting. She got married to another guy, the marriage fell apart. 5. Now she's Living with this guy. And she walks up and bumps up into Jesus at the well. A little awkward. Jesus says, you know what? I'm going to give you a drink. I'm going to give you a water. Is he talking about Ozarka? No, no. Remember what I said. It's always deeper. It's, it's always spiritual. The spirit affects the natural. It's under that. What are you so mad about? What are we so angry about? What are we so anxious about? These are the times where we back up and say, God, I need you. I need you. You know what the Bible says? I know you need things. But if you just seek first the kingdom of God, I'll add the rest of the things to you. Let me share this last and final point. Promotion is from God. Promotion is from God. Let's take the word promotion and just say whatever you need to get better, it comes from God. On three, I want you to just say it comes from God. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. It comes from God. Promotion comes from God. Let me read you the scripture so you can write it in your notes. Uh, Psalm 75, verse 6 and 7. For promotion... Cometh neither from your boss or, nor from your neighbor. And neither does it come from, from your aunt or your uncle or from Jimmy or from Ralph or from Micah. It doesn't come from Lacey or from Linda. It doesn't come from the east or the west nor from the south. But God, he's the judge into one he rises up and to the other he casts down. He's the judge. He's the one that determines. Now, wait. No. Now, wait. No. Yes. No. Wait. Yes. No. Wait. Yes. No. Wait. This is what's happening in the process. You are in good hands. You're in good hands. You are in such good hands. Now, in the middle of the process, you may be frightened. But let me just tell you, Satan can't take away what you already have. He can't give you what you already have. Now, I'm done with that sermon. Promised four points. Gave you four points. That was for everybody. Now I've got a two minute sermon for a few of you. It's not for everybody. It's for a few of you. And when I say a few, I mean a few, like possibly two. I started reading a book four days ago, two days ago, sorry. It's called The Power From On High by Charles Finney. And it rocked my world. It woke up something in me that has me on fire for God. It it feels like I've got lightning in my veins, fire in my bones and muscles on my teeth. I'm just so... And passion for God and, and this message that I just preached About the process And finding peace in the process And reminding yourself That you can't give me what I already have And you can't take away what that—that that for, for many of you That is a sermon that you need to hear but, but this 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 is for Some of you that are cut From a little bit of a different cloth Not a better cloth a different cloth because this this has never been what you wanted to give your life to whatever this is for you it's something far deeper that keeps you up at night because you want more than anything in the world to have God's presence just flow through you. That's what you want more than anything in the world. Let me read you an excerpt. He talks about in Acts chapter two, when God pours out his spirit, he says, you'll know you'll have the spirit when you're endowed with power. And he talks about how there's a lot of Christians that are going to heaven that don't have that power. And he talks about this power. It says like this. Power seems sometimes to influence the atmosphere of one who is highly charged with this endowment of power. Many times great numbers of people in a community will be clothed with the power. When the very atmosphere of the whole place seems to be charged with the life of God. And I didn't write this part down, but he starts talking about the counten- having a countenance of God. And for those of you that are familiar with Charles Finney, he's got a lot of these stories, but he came walking into this store and he didn't say anything, he just walked in. But the countenance of God was coming off his face so much that people started crying and getting on their knees, asking for God to forgive them because they could feel the presence of God and he wasn't even doing anything. He was just standing there. that, That wasn't planned. That wasn't something that he had been praying for. He just walked in and it was the countenance of God. And he keeps on talking about it. And he says this, strangers coming into this presence And passing through will be instantly smitten with conviction of sin and in many instances converted to Christ. When Christians humble themselves and consecrate all their flesh to Christ and ask for this power, they will often receive such a baptism that they will be instrumental in converting more souls in one day than in all their lifetime prior to that moment. Last sentence. Let us then not grieve or resist Him, but accept the commission, fully consecrate ourselves with all we have to saving souls as our great and our only life work.